Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. And uh, I'm one of the co-hosts. And today we have a, <clears throat> a triadic paradigm made up of the three amigos, as it were. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we welcome every one of you. <clears throat> and we hope that you uh, gain something from our show, our conversation, our dialogue, uh, because we're dealing with relevant issues yet from a gospel-centered perspective. Our chief uh, end in this program is like uh, the ca shorter catechism, Luther, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him and his people forever. So we're going to just do a round robin today of uh, a plethora of subjects, no primary agenda, but as each uh, panelist wants to just share what's on their heart, what's on their mind, what we all need to be aware of, uh, that's the way we're going to go. So uh, without further ado, during this Advent season, as we celebrate mm -hmm. the coming of our Lord, this is our hope. This is where the joy comes from. Ultimately, uh, everything comes from the fact that he is. And uh, I'm so glad for it. And I know all my other panelists are well, but I'm going to turn it over to our technician today. <laughs> the, anoint, the anointed technician, uh, Dennis Golfin. Thank, thank you, Van. I, I feel good. I am the technician. Huh? So I, that's good. I like that. Uh, welcome <laughs> to our show for the day. And I'm glad for the three amigos who are, who are on uh, the show today. And we're looking forward to a great show as we celebrate this Advent season, um, this epiphany, um, the coming uh, versus the first coming and the second coming that's anticipated of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, first coming as Savior, second coming as King. And so we're looking forward to the King of the universe to come back and take his throne and to deal with all of this mess that we have in the world today. But I thank God for that. But welcome to our show for the day. Those of you on our, um, our Facebook page, we welcome you to the show. And later on, those of you on YouTube, we welcome you to the show. And then our podcast, anchor.fm, forward slash talk straight. You can listen to our podcast there and see all that's going on. So we thank God for you. We thank God for um, Dr. Rob Shank, who's also with us today. And yes. we're just going to open this up as Van starts off again and, and just uh, take you right into our show for today. Well, thank you, Dennis. <clears throat> and I concur. It's wonderful to have uh, uh, Dr. Shank on with us today. Uh, we go so far back, and he's been so gracious to still be my friend, which I appreciate <laughs> very, very much, and uh, and I mean that from my heart, too. Um, so today, <clears throat> you know, I spent the week uh, on a radio broadcast uh, out of Morgan State, and being a part of the Carson Institute of Loyola, Maryland, University of Maryland, um, uh, we were talking about Emmett Teal because this week the DOJ decided to dismiss the case of Emmett Teal. And for those of you in the, our audience that do not understand the significance of Emmett Till is the fact that <clears throat> back in 1955, this young black boy living in Chicago uh, decided to go to Mississippi and spend some time with his cousin. His mother warned him and so did others that, listen, you're going to a segregated 
yourself. So behave yourself because I guess Emmett was kind of a free spirit, good looking boy, uh, but a free spirit. And so he was always pushing the boundaries, right? But he had no idea of what he was about to walk into. And if you uh, look up the story of Emmett Teal, you'll find that uh, <clears throat> he allegedly went to a grocery store and uh, the uh, couple that was in charge, a white couple, uh, he whistled, I guess, at her, uh, Carolyn uh, was her name. And uh, then they rushed out of the store and went back to the house. They thought it was over. And uh, at two o'clock in the morning, two white gentlemen show up at their door in the middle of the night with gun and flashlight looking for Emmett Till. And his mother, his aunt begged him, them not to take the boy. They offered her money. They offered them money. She offered them money, everything. Please let the boy go. He's just a boy. They hauled him away. And uh, his cousin said, I looked at him through the back window of the car as he pulled away. That was the last time I ever saw him again, he said. And then they took him to a, a, a garage barn, kind of old barn. And they beat that boy Beth to death until they cut off one of his ears. They gouged out one of his eye and shot him straight through the head where you could look through one side and see out the other side. And uh, three days later, four days later, they found him in a river. And uh, his mother, his mother, and I'll make this story as short as I can. His mother uh, requested that they send the body back to Chicago. And with she had an open casket funeral and it was a church of God in Christ, actually a building and over 50,000 people attended this funeral with an open cast. And I've seen pictures of him in that casket and it's just inhumane what they did to that boy, the violence, the, 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 the cruelty, the anger, the uh, unjustifiable response. And all because uh, Carolyn said, this young boy made a pass at me. He, he touched me. He put his hands on me because, and maybe we'll talk about this a little later. I won't delve into it, but I wanted to share because I know that Dennis uh, does a good job of uh, uh, dealing with the books that we're talking about. But if you're interested in seeing the, in, in the light of slavery and Jim Crowism and the Southern uh, attitude toward, uh, towards Blacks at the time and to this day, actually, uh, we've never considered the role of the white woman, the white woman in slavery, how influential, how lethal she could be. The, the scariest thing was for a black man to be accused by a white woman that he had done something to her. That's how the Tulsa riots took place. That's how the, the, the Wall Street, Black Wall Street, the Tulsa, and so many other things, so many hangings took place because a black man was not even allowed to make eye contact uh, with a white woman. And so if you're really interested today in looking at that, the whole uh, uh, zeitgeist of uh, the white woman uh, in, the, in, in Jim Crowism and the influence of race relations in America, there's a tremendous book called They Were Her Property. They Were Her Property by Stephanie Jones Rogers. Stephanie Jones Water. So they were her property, white women as slave owners in the American South. I'll tell you, I've been reading it. It is mind blowing. But uh, they closed the case on Emmett Till. No justice for Emmett Till. And I'm so glad that like Abel, his blood cries from the ground 
And uh, one thing I like about Emmett Till's mother, she said, listen, we may not get justice in this life, but there is a God in heaven who is a just God. And the Christian hope is, yes, we want justice here, social justice issues. We want them dealt with here as much as possible, as much as possible. But thank God, we know that ultimately no one gets away. No one gets away because God is a just God. And I'm grateful for that. My heart goes out to Emmett Till that this boy was screaming in that barn. He was screaming. You could hear, they said you could hear him screaming. Willie Reed was his name. Heard him screaming in, in the barn. And uh, uh, when the guy came out with the guns, he said, did you hear anything? And he said, Willie Reed said, no, I didn't because he would have been another victim. But to have that little 14-year-old boy crying out like that, not knowing what he had gone to, uh, is devastating. And that kicked off the whole civil rights march. And this was all behind the Brown versus the Board of Education uh, against the Plessy versus Ferguson law. Uh, and there was a white backlash. And to show their anger, uh, boom, he fell right into the whole Zitzenleben, uh, the situation in life that was taking place at that time. So uh, no justice for Emmett in this life, but his blood's crying from the ground and Jesus hears, God knows, and uh, we believe the Lord, the hope that that mother had. And she said, we carry no, no vengeance in our heart, no desire, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And she had such a good attitude towards this. And uh, I pray that the first martyr that led to the civil rights uh, movement uh, is going to be justified by the God who sits in heaven. So I'll stop right there and move on to something else. Uh, Rob, you want to jump in anytime? I see. Uh, I see the Bishop Sterling Lands has in, uh, enjoined us also. So we got a quad a quad group here today. <laughs> well, I was taught to defer to my elders, and since uh, Bishop Lands has arrived on the scene, uh, I become a youngin again, <laughs> which feels really great at sixty three and a grandfather, and I can get I can be young again. So, my dear brother, I defer to you uh, today. Well, you're very kind. Um, since I got in on the on the back end of that, it sounds like you were giving a recount, uh, Dr. Van, on on the Emmett Till situation. Yes, uh, sir. I was, um, I think, I was ten years old uh, at that time. Actually, maybe eleven years old um, at that time, and uh, the accusation uh, of him offending a white woman in her family's grocery store was uh, held as truth until eventually the woman actually um, said, no, that wasn't the case. Um, in the movie, Free at Last, um, there was some reference made and some characterization of them uh, made. And I remember uh, how our parents used to shelter uh, us, um, the males particularly, and uh, during that time, it was a lot. I mean, Emmett Till was the, the most highly publicized, but I could think of Leroy Sellers. I could think of several others who went through that Eddie Lee Spudlark, guys who just disappeared or were brutally and mangled up um, in such a way that they were almost unrecognizable. And yes, um, I remember going out on the porch uh, of our place. Um, we lived in a little shotgun house and across from us over a brick wall 
were the people of European descent. And um, at any moment, uh, anything could happen and did happen often. And, and when this occurred, uh, she was very, very careful to ensure that she knew where we were at all times. And of course, at 11 years old, you're, you're supposed to know anyway, but being boys, we were always out trying to do different things. So, so I, I remember that quite well. It was uh, in my life, uh, a, a tragic moment. Mm hmm. You know, uh, Bishop Van, you were in in your telling of that story, and now hearing our brother Sterling uh, talk about that element to it. Uh, you know, you, you, you Bishop Van, you you mentioned the role of the white woman in this, and boy, does that make for a fascinating investigation. Uh, mm. You've, you've really got me curious about that. And there's so much implicated in that because of course, while the title of the book you referenced was, uh, what was the, uh, they, they were her property. They were her property. A white woman as a slave owner in the American South. Yeah, uh, and there's, there's so many stories of that at the same time, in that same primitive, um, you know, culture of, of deep racist uh, impulse, there was also, you know, the ownership of the white male over the white woman. So, it, it, immediately, I drew a parallel in my mind. Okay, Emmett Till is seen as uh, acting in an offensive manner towards a white woman who, for many white males, including, I would, I would venture, the ones who murdered uh, Emmett Till, in their minds, they own the white woman. So how dare this young black boy make a move on my property, the white women I own in my mind? So all of this goes to Van, uh, what you posted on Facebook uh, on the gospel standing in contradiction to the idea of one superiority over others that there are races, classes, uh, genders that are superior over others. And the gospel speaks clearly to this. We are to humble ourselves, to acknowledge only one Lord. Jesus rebuked his and disciples when they started getting it in their heads that somehow they were going to take positions of power and domination and superiority over others. And he said it was the pagans, the non, we might even say anti-Christians, <laughs> who thought of themselves in this way, of lording it over others. So this is such a, I mean, racism and particularly violent, murderous forms of racism, which we are seeing in our own time. This is not ancient history. 
Bishop Sterling, you were you were a, a boy old enough to remember and be conscious. Um, these things didn't happen so long ago. Mm -hmm. We we think of them as in the ancient past, and they are not in the ancient past. So, uh, and we're seeing them again in our own time, mm -hmm. and and the gospel speaks precisely to these things. So when I hear my white colleagues, fellow pastors, dismiss this and say, oh, you know, this is that woke, liberal, progressive, socialist, uh, media-driven, democratic uh, agenda that's out there. Um, I beg to differ. It's at the heart of the gospel, of the message of Christ, his instruction to his disciples. All of this is connected seamlessly. And, and I'm the bore in the room who always turns the conversation to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and I get kicked under the table by my wife who says, honey, enough on Bonhoeffer. Let, let's move on. <laughs> Uh, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who incidentally said the only place he could hear the real gospel preached in America when he was here was at Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, Harlem. under Adam Clayton Powell, the, the great pulpiteer uh, mm -hmm. and icon uh, in the Black church. And he said only in the using his anachronistic language of the period, in the Negro churches, would one hear the true gospel preached in America. Why? Because it's a message of the suffering from below, he said. And, and it's impossible for us to understand the gospel except to hear it from below. So all of this just floods my mind with how seamlessly this is connected to any contemplation of the message, ministry, and model of Christ. Mm -hmm. I heard that alliteration, the message, ministry, and model. I heard that. I heard that. I heard that. Dennis, yeah. it's your show, man. No, no, I, I, I've, I've been enjoying this. I have posted the uh, historical articles on Emmett Teal on our Facebook comments there. And I also pointed out the CNN article on the Supreme Court. Um, so those of us who are watching this, if you go to the comment section, those articles are there. Also, I posted the book that uh, Van mentioned. Um, and so I, that's one there too. And you can follow that in the comment section. I think that's all very good. But I think we all have just been talking about this whole idea of injustice that's uh, just been going on in our country over and over again. And I just want to take the piety approach too to this whole thing that we just have to commit all of this to prayer. And um, um, that the fact that we, we know it exists, uh, it has been existing, it will continue to exist. We um, cry out against the extremes that's been done. Our justice system is not full of justice. As we pointed out last week, um, there is um, justice system is not really correct. It's one-sided. 
Uh, it's interesting in um, the justice system, when we do our courtroom, we always see a blindfold around Lady Justice because she is blind. Uh, it is not fair. We see in case after case an unfairness in the justice system, and especially when it comes to our people. And so we, um, we, we live with this every day and we try to make amends for it. We speak out on it, we advocate against it, we try to be activists. And we also try to understand that this is the way of the world because we're sinners <clears throat> and that the sin nature is here and that people are going to do what they do. I believe also that I don't think atheism is so much a threat to us as deism is because there are a lot of people who believe that, that God did create, but he's not in control of what he created. And he is in control. But uh, deists believe that God's not in control of nature. He's not in control of history. And of course, that's not true. But when we look at things, it would seem like everything is all out of control. So I just want to put that point in, Van, as we continue the conversation. Okay. Well, you know, on the... Uh... Uh, for the Carson Institute, I was on radio this week with uh, Dr. Carson Whitehead. Head, uh, she's the president of the Carson, and uh, it was the question was posed to me: um, how, how can this be amongst religious people? People that people that go to church on Sunday and walk right out of service, and you know, 1955 was within my lifetime for Emmett Till. So uh, how can somebody walk out of a service and then watch and then perpetrate the hanging of somebody black in a tree at the same time? How can that evil be? And we ultimately know that's the devil. That's what Jesus said. You're, you're of your father, the devil. <laughs> if, you're living a, if you're living a lie or telling a lie, uh, you're of your father, the devil, that evil. But also, I think it's very interesting to note uh, that, you know, when the Puritans came to America, they came with a certain theology. This is not the, all their theology, but it's an aspect. They, they were very Calvinistic in this sense. They believed in double predestination, that the Europeans were the elect of God. The visible saints of God are the elect, and they are Puritan coming to America, and that uh, they've been elected by God and everybody else is damned. So uh, anybody that was not white was damned as far as they were concerned. So they felt the liberty, they felt in a superiority and a liberty to take advantage of all those that are damned anyhow, why not take advantage of them? Why not take advantage of their land and their property uh, uh, or their, their, their being? you know, that being human, because if God has damned them, whether it was in South Africa with the Dutch reform or in America and in the South, I mean, the Presbyterians were there strong and they believe in the Calvinism in the sense of uh, predestination, that it was predestined. I mean, the, the Puritans thought of themselves as uh, the new Israel of God, like God didn't have anything to for the old Israel. So we trash that. We need a new Israel of God, a European mm -hmm. Aryan Brotherhood kind of God. And uh, and we are going to be this city on the hill, the city on the hill. So it was the new promised land in their eyes, the new promised land. So there we see the, the mixture of of, uh, of imperialism, colonialism, but also religion. 
you know, the intersection of politics, religion, etc., all taking place. And any of us, any of us, if you get it out, and then one more th thing that I uh, have investigated is that the Europeans were given strongly to abstract thinking, where the rest of the world was more involved in concrete thinking. And that opened the door for a speculation in a mind that's not redeemed. And as a result of that, they came to America, they came to the South, they looked at the Native American Indians, they looked at the African as the damned, predestined damned of God. And so they're, they're useless, they're useless, they're, they're, they're going to hell. So why let them have the land? Why not put them to work? Why not hang them? Why not shoot them? What difference does it make? They're damned of almighty God. And so that is the downside of that doctrine as they used it to their advantage and to, and even one last point I want to make is uh, Adam, uh, Adam Smith in his book, Wealth of Nations. He talks about the invisible hand of God in economics, the invisible hand of God. But see, because he was a Calvinist in many ways, he said that God has chosen in this invisible hand of God in the free market idea, he has chosen an elect to prosper through, uh, through economy. And he's chosen others that they're just not gonna make it in the free market. Those that are called of God, again, European descent, and then Native American Indians and black and Chinese and anyone else, it's just anyone that's not white. So again, we see the twisting of scripture, the twisting of doctrine to serve man's need. And that's why it's they're of their father, the devil, because that is a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, the Adam Smith, you know, <laughs> free market capitalist uh, religion, uh, I'll call it that, Yeah, uh, was fine with that marker, you know, of uh, white European uh, prosperity was a sign of God's uh, election. It was, uh, it was an indicator that they were favored of God in many ways, including salvifically. Uh, but um, until it came to Jews who yeah. were prosperous, now that rule no longer applied to Jews. <laughs> Uh, they might be prosperous, but they're prosperous for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. They're money grubbing. Um, you know, uh, they have ulterior motives to dominate and control the world. Uh, so suddenly, the rule no longer applies. Uh, with certain people, it does. And, and here's where the whole idea of partiality showing partiality, which is mm -hmm. contrary to a gospel virtue. Uh, the gospel virtue is uh, all come the same to the cross. Uh, it, we have that old saying among uh, Bible churches, you know, uh, we all stand level before the cross. Nobody's head is higher than anyone else's in view of the cross, we all stand equal in the eyes of our creator. And, but in that world, it was very stratified. It, nothing was equal. Uh, unless, of course, you were in that elect class, both uh, ethnically, <clears throat> uh, nationally, 
uh, racially uh, and socioeconomically. Mm -hmm. You had to be in a certain class to be among the favored of God. And yet when we read the Gospels, it's the opposite story. It's mm -hmm. the opposite story. And I see this today with the whole QAnon cult uh, that the gospel is inverted. It's inverted. It's no longer, it, it's the antithesis, even to the point where I heard an interview with a woman, uh, you know, they, they use the word sheep in this mm -hmm. new cultic uh, movement among uh, whites in America. Yes, I saw that. Uh, they use the word sheep pejoratively, but you're a sheeple or a sheep. Uh, and, and so uh, one woman misquoted the scripture on sheep and goats, and, uh, and the interviewer said, well, which are you? And now, she, this is a woman who says she loves the Lord, she trusts, you know, the Lord uh, in everything, but she's a goat. She's no sheep. She's a goat. Mm. Well, that's the opposite <laughs> of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The goats are on their way to a, to a yes. really nasty place. <laughs> the sheep are on their way to the Lord's uh, sheepfold. So all that just to say, this gets so um, contradictory to the gospel, it becomes satanic and demonic. Mm -hmm. I'll just say it that plainly. Yes, yes. Bishop Sterling. No, he's no, he's gonna he's gonna rest on this one. Actually, um, oh, okay. You know, this, this is a very painful um, memory here. Uh, because it's, it's real, uh, it's real to me every day. Um, so when I look at the the grand scheme of things in the, in, the, in our nation, it becomes very clear to me that although we've gotten more sophisticated in uh, presenting some of the absolutely egregious attacks, uh, racial attacks on Blacks, uh, the underlying stem is the same. Mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, the, the George Floyd incident was not unlike the Emmett Till incident, if you get far enough back to see it. Um, a few days or maybe a, a week or so before, Till was killed. There was a guy by the name of Lamar. Um, well, it just goes to show you what happens as you age, but I, I can't remember his last name now, but I, I do remember, remember Lamar. And he had been shot in front of the courthouse there in Brookhaven, Mississippi for organizing a political uh, movement. And uh, then this month later, you find this situation because it was the norm. You see, the, the, the floor for incidents were at that level. It was either at an all-time low, which is, has not risen much above that, or at some 
superficial point that looked okay until it was stepped on and then the whole thing would crash. And, and so it makes, it just reminds me that we, we are res, we're going through the same cycle uh, decade after decade. And um, I, I don't personally see a change uh, in sight uh, unless there is a major revival in, in this Western hemisphere. And I, I think that the revival has to be where the, the real God, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God is called upon and not the American God and not the Western God, nor the American Jesus or, or the Western Jesus, because those are constructs that are used to justify the uh, ungodly behavior of, of the many who do that, including some of my close uh, associates who are, who are evangelicals. They, they preach a great gospel, but it's the it's American gospel. And it's the, it's the American God of which they talk about. And they're very adamant about it, except that the American God and the American Jesus and uh, if I went on to be just absolutely ridiculous, the American Holy Spirit, which can't, uh, is an uh, oxymoron because it couldn't be a Holy Spirit if it's the American uh, spirit. But uh, those, those, that, that triunity or that trinity allows for this egregious behavior and then hurries to cover it with other platitudes. So, um, it may arouse in me an anger that is, has been with me for a long time. So my quietness is that I'm just trying to remain civil. Yes, I hear you, Bishop. And I'm gonna. I want to interject something for Dennis because you know he mentioned uh, the need for piety, and uh, you know I'm a firm believer, as Dennis well knows, in piety plus protests. Uh, and uh, and I want to bring. I want to. Uh, build off something you stated, uh, Sterling, uh, the revival, the revival. Uh, this week, I've also been meditating, and I've posted on Facebook that, you know, in American history, church history of America, there was such an event called Azusa, Azusa, mm -hmm. and, and the whole zeitgeist was Jim Crowism in America. So blacks and whites, it was against the law for blacks and whites to hug, touch, uh, show friendly time. And in the midst of that zeitgeist, the Holy Spirit, through a black man in mm -hmm. California, the power of God fell on people. And the, the result was when the Holy Spirit, as you mentioned, Sterling, is mentioned, the Holy Spirit brought male and females together, black and white, rich and poor so the only time in American history that we've seen the unity of the church and the, the, new, the, the new man vision that Paul talks about in scripture uh, was at Azusa Street. And the whole event was headed by William Seymour, a black man, one-eyed black man. And so the point being is that that was an opportunity in history where God gave us a chance through the church to change this nation, but there was a withdrawing uh, by the whites from the blacks and the black leadership from this event. And three years later, it died out, even though Pentecost 
took place, has taken place all over the world. But I believe, as you say, Sterling, and as Dennis brings out, a revival is going to, I believe God's going to give us a second chance that only by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an outpouring that deals with hatred and racism and feeling superior versus inferior towards the other uh, is our only chance. No, we, we have to do what we can do in this life, but ultimately it's not by might, nor is it by power, but it's by his spirit. And this is a great opportunity, Rob, for us all to talk about this, to do what we can, but it's our seeking of God. It's our seeking of him for his outpouring and that we be uh, uh, postured in a place where, Lord, if you move one more time like you did at Azusa, we will learn from history and press in no matter what it may cost us in this life to see your church unified because the only hope for this nation is that the church be the church coming together in unity, black, white, rich, poor, ma female, male, we've all got to come together and be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. That's my real hope in this point. Uh, and that Jim Crow, that attitude, the evil of the heart will be dealt with from all ethnic groups, from all ethnic groups. We need a purified heart. So we, we need to believe God for revival that will set us free. And we've seen one example and I shared this uh, uh, before on this show. I'm a, again, a white gentleman in, in the Carolinas went to California to see this great revival taking place. And he went there, it took him like three, three or four days to drive there. And he got there and he got to uh, the, the building and saw a black man up front and he stormed out of there saying, oh, no, no, I'm not. No, because Jim Crowism reigned in America. He said, no, I can't do it. He went back to his room and struggled with the Lord, wrestled with the Lord all night long, and finally said, all right, Lord, if that's what you want, he went back again, and he let William Seymour lay hands on him, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, discrepancies in the body of Christ about, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? But this is what William Seymour said. He said, the, the initial evidence that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence is the love of God is shed abroad in your heart for himself and all people, the love of God. And that's the kind of baptism, that's the kind of revival that we need in America today. Uh, Van, I, th I thought about two scriptures that you, as you pointed that out, and you mentioned a lot about uh, piety in your, your whole presentation. I think that uh, what that tells us is that there's something supernatural has got to happen again. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. It's got to be something supernatural. But I thought about uh, John 13, 34, and 35, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then I thought about Luke 18 and 8, which says that when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Uh, the miraculous that needs to happen, the supernatural that needs to happen so that the evidence of a love that is unbiased that took place, and that's what makes Azusa Street so powerful that we tried to get away from and history tried to cover up what happened during the Jim Crow days with Azusa Street and tries to go back to the history of Pentecost going back to 1901. Now let's go to 1906 because 1906 was really where it really 
a supernatural thing really happened because of all the love that got shown from what came out of that uh, little place in Los Angeles and spread all over the world and yet got stifled later, just like on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and later on people rejected what had happened. Um, I think there's always been a rejection of the Holy Spirit's move in the earth by those who have their own agenda. So the agenda that comes about is different than what the Lord wants to see happen. And I think as, as we see that, and I know Rob can probably deal with this a little more in terms of this whole tension that we deal with between um, Jews, Blacks, and, um, and whites, and this whole idea of where we are with, and I talk about this quite a bit, the church, Israel, and the kingdom of God. Uh, the three sort of gets muddled into the whole idea of where each goes and what each means and how we see this in terms of the mystery of what God is, has done in terms of bringing us to this end time event. And I think all those things are very important. I'll just stop there. Well, you know, first of all, whenever Van tells that story, which I love to hear about that cross-country trek, the white guy going to uh, Los Angeles for the revival, and, uh, submitting in humility uh, to the laying out of hands by William Seymour, black preacher. I love that story and it's so instructive on so many levels, uh, including the antecedent to the blessing. Um, and it seems this repeats itself over and over again and you see it throughout biblical, the biblical record that humility is the antecedent. It's humbling ourselves before the Lord, before one another, getting off our high horse, you know, St. Paul's literal high horse. <laughs> He's knocked off of it uh, and hurled to the ground in, a, in an act of humiliation so that he can hear and receive uh, the, the, the word of God. And when I hear that, that story told, I, I think about Actually, it gives rise to a memory. Uh, when I moved from my hometown, uh, Van, our shared homeland of uh, Western New York State, uh, Niagara Frontier, uh, and I moved to the Washington DC area, my wife and I had to keep going further and further from DC to afford a house. We landed in Manassas, Virginia. And back then, people raised their eyebrows and said, Manassas, like that's Klan territory. I mean, people still drive trucks with Confederate flags on them. What, what are you doing going to Manassas? Now, that's not true. Manassas has been totally transformed today, and, and it's a majority Hispanic uh, city now. But we went to Manassas, and uh, we became part of a church there. And at the same time, I get to know and start preaching for a wonderful friend, Kenneth Barney, pastor of uh, uh, a wonderful church uh, west of uh, Baltimore, um, uh, New Antioch Baptist Church, large, overwhelmingly black church, few white folk there, but only a few. 
uh, when I'm there, I feel like uh, the, um, the, the, the mercury vapor lamp uh, <laughs> in the night sky. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the minority, believe me. And uh, he's been so kind to yield me the pulpit and I just love uh, him and the folks there. And I was telling the story in church about the call from Ken Barney the day after Barack Obama was elected president of the United States. And I think I've told this story before, so pardon me. But he said to me on the phone, Rob, I know you and your Republican friends have one reaction to this election. Let me tell you my reaction. Uh, I was trained as a boy that when uh, in, in uh, the presence of white folk, I was to look down at the ground because that was the safest posture for me to have. For the first time in my life, I feel I can look you straight in the eye as your equal. That's what this means to me. And that took me apart. It just took me apart emotionally, psychologically, and even spiritually. So I'm repeating this story to a woman in church in Manassas, Virginia. And she looked at me, white woman, a woman of the South, who looked at me and just said, why would he feel like that? That's stupid. Why does he feel like that? In other words, she wasn't even willing to humble herself enough to listen to this man's pain and try to understand it. It was just summarily dismissed, which to me is, is the ultimate haughtiness. It's haughty. And, and what does scripture warn about the haughty? That pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before, you can read the Greek there, or the Hebrew it was derived from, destruction is annihilation, annihilation of the soul. In Jewish thought, that's the ultimate demise, is the annihilation of the soul. So these things are, are inextricably tied together. And we dismiss them at, at our own peril at the peril of art. So uh, look, I'm appealing, uh, you know, to my fellow white Christians, especially my fellow white pastors, do not ignore or dismiss this. It is at the peril of not just our witness, and integrity, but of our souls and the souls of those under our charge. That's how serious this is. This isn't just getting, uh, jumping on a social bandwagon. This predates the civil rights struggle. This predates Fox News. This predates even Azusa Street. This predates uh, Plymouth and Jamestown and 1619, this 
pre this goes back to time immemorial. Yeah. It goes back to the garden. This yes. is all about the fall. Yes. And to dismiss it is to go into the whole blame shifting uh, routine. You know, God came in and said, did you, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? Oh, don't look at me. Look at her. <laughs> and, and God says to her, what have you done? And she says, don't look at me. Look at it. And by the way, you, you created all this. Don't, don't look at me. And to sit, to, to dismiss this is to say, don't look at us. Look somewhere else. That, that to me is a haughty spirit before annihilation. It's extremely, extre extremely serious. Yes, it is, my brother. Yes, it is. And I thank you for making the appeal. And, and I just concur that it's an appeal that needs to be made to the whole body of Christ, the uh, male, female, black, white, Jew, Gentile, uh, that all of us, that this is a serious hour. This, when we think of the fact that our Lord was crucified, crucified, an excruciating death, because he so loved the world, he gave his life. That act alone should make each one of us run to him and then run to each other and embrace each other because we love him because he first loved us. And I like what St. Augustine says in his book, The, the City of God and the, you know, the City of Men, that indeed, as we see through William Seymour's baptism of love, the city of God says that we, the people of God should be what? We should be love the power of love and not the love of power. That really should make the difference. And in the story that I related, Rob, I failed to mention today that the, the, the white gentleman that went to Azusa, he said, I realize I have to crucify my prejudice. And we all, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will point out each one of us where we are at fault. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of the area of our life that needs to be sanctified, we need to come to grips with it like Isaiah, woe is me. And then this white gentleman on his way to Azusa Street that he saw the need to crucify, you know, if you're going to take him across and follow him, we've got to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him because he's the Lord. I, I, I don't know how we can escape the reality, Rob, that if we really see the Lord high and lifted up in his train, filling the temple and the, the beautific vision should just really compel us to run to him and abandon everything that is not like God and go to all the world and tell everyone about this biserat, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves all people. And we would be willing to pay whatever price is necessary that his name would be glorified and that all people have a chance to be edified as well. So uh, what are we down to, Dennis? Five, five minutes? Five minutes, five minutes, that's all. Sterling, you have anything you want to share before? Well, one quickie is that um, I think that we have two major areas that must be addressed uh, in keeping with all that's been stated. 
before God is that um, the, the Western world has to eventually confess its great sin of, of uh, white superiority and racism and repent of that. And then the, 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 the Oriental or the Black uh, world, um, uh, the African world must, must confess its, its hardness of heart and unforgiveness uh, and repent of that before we can get it all together. Even if, the, even if the Westerns come along and say, okay, we were wrong about this whole thing and, and um, we repent and we repair and we're prepared to do restitution. As great as that is, there's so much anger embedded in us generationally that it's gonna be, it might take generations to overcome some of that anger and, and hurt and, and, and uh, feelings of, of just abject squalor denial uh, over, over time. So, you know, it's, it's not just one side. We, we both have something to, to, to go before God uh, with and to ask him to, uh, to, to deliver us from. They're just two different, they're different sides of the same coin. Yes. I told I you. Just, I just wanted to mention that the uh, white pastor you're mentioning uh, from North Carolina van was named Caswell. His name is Caswell. He was from Dunn, North Carolina. And he was okay. the one who traveled to talk to Seymour and was reluctant to go to revival. Yeah, great, great. Well, I agree with everyone that stated everything is that, and, and again, I think uh, I, I posted on Facebook this whole thought, and I said, you know, we need a revival and let it begin in me. And my prayer is that each one of us will collectively and individually go before the Lord and say, let it begin in me. Because if God could use William Seymour at a time of Jim Crowism in America, how can God use us today? He is almighty God. And now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we dare to ask or think by the power that works in us. I think if we yield to him, as Rob says, we humble ourselves, as, as Sterling talks about, forgiveness on both sides. If we just obey the gospel, obey the gospel and do as our brother said, crucify the prejudice and hatred in our own hearts, then, then this world can be reached with the gospel. And the glory of God can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Gross darkness is coming to this planet and is here, but the light has come upon his church that comes forth out of repentance, out of repentance, because we should have been leading the way from the inception. And God help us to get back on track and be the church uh, triumphant over sin, over sin, not over people, but over sin and the devil in this world. So Dennis, are we close to ending this show today? Uh, you got your, you're muted. That's okay. I thought you were in the right then, Van. Okay. <laughs> Rob, uh, thank you for being with us today. And thank you for Sterling for being with us. And so we've, we've had a great conversation and I trust that to our audience that you'll be listening, that we've said something that uh, will turn your heart for the good and your mind for the good. And uh, let's just love the Lord and love each other and speak the truth in love. 
uh, that has to be the foundation because without other than that, we're just a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal without love. And I'm thankful today that God so loved me that he gave his son and he so loves you because, that he gave his son. And all we need to do is surrender our lives to him. So I say in this Advent season to all that are listeners, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Adonai Elohim lift up his countenance and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Amen. Mm -hmm. The live stream.